Hello, hello. My name is Dr. Rachel Gainsborough, and I am obsessed with all things short-term rentals, revenue streams, and helping you navigate your career, real estate, and your busiest and most wonderful seasons of life. I'm an immigrant, a pharmacist, a wife, and a mom who took one guest room rental and turned it into a multi-property, seven-figure real estate business, which has also landed us on TV. I'll teach you the real secrets and everything you need to build a short-term rental business that you love. I discuss the hard topics, mistakes I've made, and the mistakes others have made so you don't have to make them for yourself. Financing, automations, acquisitions, low occupancy, scaling, and building your team all while balancing your life are all subjects to be discussed here. Consider me that one best friend you can come to with your short-term rental business questions. So grab your coffee, get comfortable as you get ready to learn and grow with me. This is the Luxury Short-Term Rental Doctor Podcast. I just want to say welcome, welcome, welcome. It's your girl Rachel here again, and I'm super stoked for you to join me. I thought it was just really important for me to dive in with Erica with you because after investing in real estate for years and years and um, having a portfolio that we grew to 28, we pared it down, we're going back and forth, we're building. I got to tell you, the numbers are so important and especially in today's economy, okay? So I want the numbers to continue to make sense for you, but it comes with having the right network, having the right members on your team, having the right partners. And so if you're interested tonight, if you're interested in investing in either short-term rentals, mid-term rentals, and even long-term rentals, which is like, (laughs) or if you have a long-term rental, you're wanting to reposition because I'm more of a short-term, mid-term rental girl, this Tonight, I'm going to say it's it's an absolute treat for you. Again, I am super, super excited. And we we just have some really, uh, you know, there's, there's good. We're going to talk the truth, guys. (laughs) You know, we're not, we're not going to live off of hopium. Uh, We're not selling the dream here. We're going to talk the good, the bad, and the ugly, because we have seen it all with all the cycles. And I know Erica has been through it. And so I am just super excited to have you here with us tonight. So Erica, I would love, love, love for you to introduce yourself to the people, and then we'll go ahead and dive right in. Hey, thanks, Rachel. By the way, whatever Hopium is, I feel like I need to get some of that. That's whatever. All right, so my name's Erica Muller. Thank you for having me on, Rachel. I am a huge fan of what you do with the short-term gems and the midterm stuff. Like, I, I absolutely love what you're doing in the industry because midterm rentals are such a sexy investment. And not enough people understand them the way you do. So I'm honored to be here and grateful. I My background is a couple of things. So I've been a licensed real estate agent for almost 22 years now. I started when I was 18 and I sp- I've been selling specifically investment properties for 21 of those years with a background in commercial. I was one of the first agents to actually start selling short-term rentals in 2007. There was maybe only like three or four of us in the country that even understood or knew about those investments. How I fell into short-term rentals is too long of a story right now. Um, but I, being I had a commercial background and I was coming into a new asset class that very few agents understood, um, it was a great opportunity for me to really understand them as an asset class, build models around them, and work and specialize specifically in that asset class with investors from all over the world. So I've been to um, the UK, Canada, all different parts of the U.S. speaking at investor events back before we even had Airbnb about this investment class. So that's my background in real estate. I'm also a personal real estate investor, you know, building portfolios, exiting them to funds, things like that. And I like to apply those strategies to short-term rentals. My other, The other side of what I do is data science. So I also became a data scientist to build advanced financial models and data tools to be able to facilitate not just my own investments, but through our company to help others as well. So what the problem was in the industry, Rachel, and how we got here was being that there was only a few agents in the country that sold short-term rentals, it was very hard to find qualified agents to refer my clients to that wanted to invest in other markets because nobody understood it. As time has gone on, we've been able to find, identify, train, coach, mentor, agents from all over the country so that investors have access now to better talent 
And when I can, when I tell you about agents, talent is a real thing. There is a huge difference between an an investment agent with talent and just an agent. And we can talk more about that, Rachel, but that's my background. I love that. So let's, let's dive into that a little bit. When it comes to real estate agents, and I know that no two agents are created equal, what do you think makes the difference between one that is successful in terms of working with investors versus one, you know, that may have a gap in terms of working with success, you know, working with investors? Yeah. So first and foremost, I'll just say there's agents are some agents are really good at marketing and putting themselves out there. Some agents are really good at numbers. Some agents are good at just like pitching something and making you love it. I found very few agents are good at all three. Right. And what I found to be the most important components as an agent for, for a good investor agent is forgetting the fact that they're not on social media all the time, because if you're a busy agent and you're working, you're probably you probably don't have the time to be on social media all the time. So they're actually hard to find because they're usually busy with their clients running around, crunching numbers, et cetera. What makes them a really good agent is that they understand the business and commercial side of the short terminal asset class and any investment asset class for that matter. Um, And because I'll tell you why, like even some of the most sophisticated traditional real estate agents that just sell houses, they still don't, they're not trained by default in cap rates, net operating income, cash on cash return. They're not, they're not trained on, you know, valuations of different asset classes in commercial. So even though they know how to talk about their market, and even though they know how to talk about short-term rentals, because maybe they've listened to some podcasts or they've read some books, it doesn't mean they actually know how to do the numbers part. So what I always say is like when I talk to agents is, can we talk about numbers? Can you explain to me the difference between a cash on cash return, a cap rate, a net operating income? Do you know what NNN is? And like, you know, different things like that, that you would you would need to know to complete a commercial transaction because even though we're buying short-term rentals or mid-term rentals, this is still a commercial transaction because there's a business piece involved. Right. And we have to consider that. And so a lot of what it comes down to is that agents don't have that part of it. So what I tell people is, look, if they can talk about their market and they can get you excited about their market, that's great. Can they follow through with pro formas? Can they back up their strategies with data? Do they understand, you know, the contacts needed to make this happen? So those are just some of the things. Sorry, I'm not trying to go down a rabbit hole, but a lot of it comes down to the numbers. No, no, I love that. And so those are parts of the conversations that we are having with our community. And so, no, and and I love that with part of the conversation, Erica, because I'm a spreadsheets girl. I love my numbers. And to really leverage different scenarios to see what can happen when things go well is fine and dandy. But what if the you know, go wrong, right? Why don't we map that out on paper on a spreadsheet before we go all in and open our wallets? And so I think, you know, the metrics that you're speaking about, it gives us an opportunity to dive into those metrics, you know, to see, you know, is there going to be anything left for cash on cash return? Is there going to be, you know, anything left over on the NOI, you know? So These are so, so important. It's it's not just, you know, how much revenue the property is going to make, but, you know, what is the, what are the expenses? What is the debt service? What what is that going to look like? Because that's going to be very, very impactful. And that's not a conversation that I find a lot of agents able to really, really have. And so that's why I think it's important inside of Luxury Short-Term Rental Academy. It's really important for us to get laser focused on it because, we haven't found, a, you know, a ton of agents who have all of that information dialed all the way in, you know, just general information in terms of short-term rentals, let alone drilling down to the business aspect uh, of performas, you know, of this specific asset class. So, so I absolutely love this. So let me ask you this question. What would you say are some of the biggest challenges that you have seen with getting that mindset, you know, to really delving into the numbers, because it's not just the sizzle. It's not just the flashy, you know, that the property may be flashy. What, what's the biggest mindset um, gap or the challenges you've seen with it? Yeah. So if we're talking about 
digging into numbers and spreadsheets as an agent. One of the things that we always get red flaggy about when we're working with agents that these are the ones that don't make it into our network is when they're scared to talk about losses because it's they're scared it's going to cost them a sale. So I have seen a lot of agents try to hype something or try to fudge numbers to make something look better than it actually is. And the way they usually do this, and this is super common, is they give you an incomplete pro forma that maybe lists like three or four expenses. And if you don't know better and you don't know what all 15 or 20 expense line items that are, you know, that exist should be there, it's going to look okay to you. And so a lot of agents are running, running off of these like incomplete pro formas that they're sending to clients that make the numbers look better than they are. And it always comes down to the expenses most of the time. They undershoot the expenses by quite a lot. And I've seen it because my like what we do at Rolio is we just interview agents all day long and we find the best ones. And what we see is that a lot of them don't even understand how many expenses actually are involved in operating a short-term rental. So they're not actually trying to lie. They just don't actually realize it. And some of them that are operating a short-term rental are managing it themselves. So they're not even accounting for their management costs or if they were working with a management company. So they feel like the expenses are really low. And they tell people, you know, this is what I'm doing. My expenses are at 25, 30% of my gross. And that is, that is not a realistic number ever. Ever, ever, ever. I, I mean, I don't ever tell people less than 50% minimum in your expenses. And a lot of agents are scared to talk about that because what happens is when you start dealing with the real numbers, like your 50% expense ratio min minimum, and then you start bringing in the purchase prices of today's market, and then you start bringing in the, the interest rates of today's payments, a lot of their markets don't pencil out anymore. And that hurts them because they're not going to make the sale. Now, I'm not, I'm not, as an investor, I'm not scared to buy something that is breaking even if there's good equity appreciation in the next five years and I can just enjoy it and sit on it and I'll make my money on the exit. And agents don't talk about that either. So they don't understand that just because something's not making money doesn't mean someone's not going to buy it. So a lot of them try to make things look better than they are, either because they don't understand or because they need the sale. So what we do is we really try to first identify the slam dunk markets, the markets where even if you go there, it really doesn't matter kind of like what you buy. The price price ratio in relation to the rental rates and the occupancy will support your investment at a low cap rate. And you're most likely going to do a high cap rate. But there's a lot of sexy markets like Naples, Florida and, you know, different places around the U.S. that people just like. And we have to be super careful with the agents there because we just need to make sure that they understand what a break-even occupancy is, you know, and, and the equity appreciation that goes along with it. So ho hopefully that's, you know, a little helpful. No, no, that, that was so good. And another thing that we've been taking advantage of inside of the community is the short-term rental tax loopholes as well that mm -hmm. provides us some of that bonus depreciation with the cost seg studies. So that's another, mm -hmm. you know, add-on bonus that we're able to leverage this year and, you know, for the next couple of years. So that's, you know, yeah, <laughs> that's a plus for sure. Yeah. And a good short-term rental agent will know about that and have that built into their model too. Rachel, I sent you a link, but it's an, it's in a multifamily investment property that someone, one of our investors sent it to me last week and he said, I, I want to buy this and use it as short-term rental. It's a 12.3 cap just sitting the way it is as a long-term rental. So it must be an incredible opportunity. So I looked at it and I was like, Cleveland is a very interesting market right now. I absolutely love that market. I've been underwriting it for weeks. So I was super curious to see how this penciled out. And at 70000 a unit, I mean, that's a good price in today's market. You don't see opportunities like this very often. Well, I underwrote it for him. And what I ended up learning is that this is actually what we're looking at here is about a nine and a half cap at being advertised at a 12.3 cap. But had you not known how to underwrite this and have the conversation with these, this investment group that's trying to sell it, you definitely would have been taken for a ride. So let me tell you what happened with this one and why having an agent that really knows a lot is going to save you. This guy was ready to write a contract on it. I mean, he wanted this right away. He's like, I called them. It sounds good. And they're even going to sell it to me 
at a, at a price right above what it costs them to renovate so that, and then they're going to charge me the difference as a commercial invest, I'm sorry, as a construction investment so that my taxes don't go up. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, okay, where do I start to unpack this? First of all, here's how these guys pitched it to the investor. They said, we paid 150000 for this building and we put three hundred and fifty or some odd into it, right? And when you buy it from us, your taxes are going to go up. So here's how we're going to save you the taxes. We're going to sell it to you for $180,000 on the closing statement. And then you're going to pay the difference in purchase price as a construction cost on the closing statement. Now, um, here's what happens when you do that. And, and they said, and your taxes won't go up because it's almost at the same price as ours. Well, that's true. But they were trying to basically screw you on the capital gains. Because what's happening now is you're, you're buying this place at $180,000 on paper. So according to the government in the IRS, when you sell this, you just paid $180,000 for this property. They don't care about the construction costs that you paid the difference, right? You have to find a way to write all that off and you weren't the one that did that. So it's going to be really, really messy. So when you sell this, let's say you sell it in two years with a forced appreciation rate by driving the cap rate up and you're able to get 700, 750 in a couple of years, right? So now you have that, what should be about a $200,000 equity gain on that. On paper, looks like you have almost a five or $600,000 equity gain on that. You're now paying capital gains tax on almost $600,000. The guys that sold it to you pay no capital gains because they barely marked it up to sell it to you on paper. And, and this guy that sent it to me, this investor thought it was the best idea in the world and didn't even have a clue about how that would affect him when he exited from the property. And these investors that were selling this thing were so slick about it too. They made it sound so wonderful. Then I went a step further, I underwrote this thing, and I realized that the price they're selling it at, for it to be a 12.3 cap, you'd have to have about a 10% expense ratio. Now, I don't know about you guys, but who in the world can run any multifamily property, especially short-term rentals on a 10% expense ratio? Nobody. So if you're buying it at this price, at the even at a low expense ratio of 30% expenses, you're still at about a nine cap. And if we go up to the 50 mark, you're at like a seven cap. This is a yeah. horrible, horrible deal, Rachel. And they made it look like it was the best thing on the market. A lot of agents wouldn't have caught those things. And this is why it's so important that you have to work with a super experienced agent that understands both residential and commercial, because this could have been somebody getting screwed over in two years from now trying to sell this thing. Now, if you're if you can negotiate this down to like 450 with the with the agent, you can get it for like 450 and you can keep your expense ratio lower than 50 percent you probably will be somewhere close to a 12 cap. And you certainly don't put on paper that you bought it for 180. So that's just one example, like a case study that literally just came up two days ago that I wanted to you know, share with you about how easy it is to get sucked into things that look like a good deal if you don't know how to underwrite them. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That is a good one. That's a good one. Oh my goodness. And that is the exact type of thing, guys, I want us to avoid in this real estate cycle. That's why I have Erica here with us. So Erica, so tell me this, your experience, I know it's with both short-term rentals, commercial, as well as, you know, the data side of it. And I know you're super passionate about it. What I love is that not only are you passionate about it, you have no stingy energy. You want to make sure that the whole community knows and you're sharing it with other realtors and you're expanding your reach to make sure realtors are able to share it with investors as well. Could you let us know a little bit about, you know, why you felt it was important for you to emphasize the importance of being data-driven with investment strategy? Yeah, because being in the, in the business for so many years on the sales side, I've seen some stuff, Rachel. Like, I have seen some stuff. So I'll start with why I do what I do with data and why we're so fussy with agents. Back in, I think it was 2014-ish, around that time, there was an explosion of short-term rentals being built in the Kissimmee market by, you know, Pulte, Lennar, some of the top builders in the country. And there was one community in particular called Re the Reunion Resort that was absolutely gorgeous. And it, it was one of those places that you just can't help but get emotionally attached to if you see it. And at the time, 
there was very little data sources to really prove out how these properties would perform. But here's what they were doing. They were telling agents and giving agents these performas that they came up with saying that their managers had a history of renting properties like this at those numbers. Well, one, they didn't. Um, but agents were just taking this and running with it. And then two, they were paying the real estate agents a 10% commission. Now, I don't know how many of you guys know much about, you know, real estate commissions, but the average real estate agent makes about two and a half percent of the purchase price. And that's a very standard real estate commission. And it's a fair, it's a very fair commission. They were offering 10%. Okay. So agents are now like beyond motivated to go out and sell the living crap out of this community without even validating the rental numbers, the income, nothing. At the time, tons of money was pouring into Kissimmee from all over the world. And people thought this was a beautiful resort. So it wasn't a hard sell. So fast forward a couple of years, agents sold the heck out of this community to investors, mostly from Brazil, Canada, UK, and, and also domestic buyers, because they were just starting to jump on the short-term rental bandwagon at that time, because it was still new in the US. And this turned out to be one of the most underperforming horrible to buy in communities that ever existed in the in the Kissimmee market. As a matter of fact, it tanked so bad because of the way they were operating it, because they didn't validate the numbers and because they just lied to people that people were actually foreclosing on these properties and just selling them at a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars less than what they paid just to get out of them. And there were like hundreds of these sales that happened. I went through this and I was one of those agents and I'm not saying like I'm better than anyone, but I was always one of those agents that valued the long-term relationship with the client because I knew if I sold them the right investment the first time, they were going to come back and buy another one and another one and another one. And I wanted their future business. So it was really hard for me not to push those properties because it was a lot of money, but I didn't. I didn't push those properties. I continued to sell the product I knew that was good, that I believed in, and I had enough data to support. And I didn't make as much money as some of these other agents, but I did retain all of my clients over the years, which was so important to me. So having seen how fast and easy it is for agents to get greedy and make things sound good to investors, I was like, I need an accountability measure in the industry that holds them accountable to what they're saying. So one of the things we did was we created our own data tool that we, we know is the cleanest tool in the, in, in the industry to use. And we said, we're going to take it to the agent community. If agents can commit to backing their sales strategy with our data, then we believe in them and we believe in their market and we feel confident to introduce them to the investors that are coming to us because we know that they're validating their sales pitch with facts. Um, and so we started bringing all of those agents into our market or into our referral network as part of the network. Um, and we would make introductions to investors. And so far, everything has been great. Over 70 million in sales volume has been done in short-term rental sales. Our agents are, are loved by our investors, lots of repeat business. But we did have, in the beginning, when we started this, we did have issues with the agents that didn't like the accountability measure in place. They didn't like that it would show in their market properties that were underperforming and what kind of properties those were, because those were the properties they were trying to sell. So it was actually interfering with their, their sales pitch. And, you know, I... I have a thing in data where we just tell people, look, if you're not backing what you're telling me by data, it's your opinion. And I don't buy based on an opinion. And, and so that's kind of why I'm so passionate about it is because I've seen so many people lose money because they couldn't validate that. And the agent wasn't willing to hold themselves accountable. So that's why we feel like agents backing up their investment sales strategies with data is the future of selling investment properties. And the investors that come into our network, that's their standard for an agent. If this agent isn't validating and backing up their strategy with good data, then why would I want to work with them? Because how do I know what they're telling me is even real? So that's kind of our mission. And that's why I ended up doing what I do. I love that. So tell me a little bit about regulation. So how does the agents working within your network, how do they address you know, regulations, do they have a good, pretty good foundation on regulatory constraints, zoning laws, and perhaps, let's see, you know, any types of bylaws, HOA, any feelings about those? 
Yeah. So we have a strict interview process with the agents that are coming into our network. We interview them as if we were going to buy there. And I'm I'm a pretty difficult buyer because I know things so well. And so they have to go through two processes. One, they have to go through an initial um, application process where we do ask a lot of these questions about their market, about you know what they know. And then the secondary follow-up is we actually do a full interview with them. We have an internal regulatory department that we keep track of all the regulations across the country. It's We have the information for every single market in the country. So we can validate ourselves before we even move into that market or bring the agent on if what they're telling us is correct. So we validate what they're telling us with our regulatory data from the regulatory department. It's pretty simple. If the agent knows what they're talking about, they make the cut. If they don't, it's too risky for us and for our investors. But I find that the real agents, the ones that really know the STR market, not the ones that are just trying to like fake it till you make it, they do stay on top of the regulatory stuff. A lot of them are involved in advocacy programs to try to keep and help the owners keep their rights to the homes because it's a big problem across the U.S. in certain markets. So we do see that, you know, the ones that make the cut through the interview, they definitely are. We are able to validate what they're telling us about their market and they stay on top of it, too. But still, even as a, as a secondary measure, Rachel, we still also we stay on top of it as well, because it's one thing for us to introduce you to an agent, but we have to make sure that we also have accountability measures in place to make sure that agent is staying on top of things. It's, it's a tall task because agents are busy, but we continue to make sure that they're, they're staying up to date on everything in their market. And if we feel like something's off, we immediately connect with them find out, you know, if they missed something or if they heard of something. And we work together as a team. Yeah, I love that. And being, you know, on top of it is going to be key because it's ever evolving, right? And we see now Mm -hmm. more than ever, you know, every month there's something new, there's a tweak, there's a change, there's an update or an implementation or something that's in draft. So with regulations, I encourage the members inside of our community to just not take anyone's word for it. Ultimately, yeah. as an investor, you're, you open your wallet, you're responsible at the end of the day. So you still need to be uh, staying on top of it yourself. So we take full responsibility, but it's always great to, to work with, you know, agents who are knowledgeable, who can kind of point us to the right direction, uh, especially where, you know, there are oddball things <laughs> that, you know, in markets that you just do not know what to expect. Yeah. And even on a neighborhood level, too. Sorry to cut you off, but like there's certain neighborhoods where even if the city approves it, even if everything looks like a green light, you just have certain neighborhoods that are are within that area that don't allow it. And or they're they might be in the process of in that particular neighborhood trying to, you know, have an HOA vote to get rid of short term rentals in the community. I've ran into several situations where um, the agents were privy to information that we would have never known unless they shared with us like a specific neighborhood that was in the middle of having a huge fight internally with the owners and the HOA fighting over getting rid of of, of short-term rentals. I wouldn't want to buy in that neighborhood, even if short-term rentals are legal today, but I knew they were all in the middle of fighting about it. That's not somewhere I want to buy. So sometimes even having access to that like on the ground information is so critical. Yeah, no, I love that. And that's that's how I feel, too, because I call that the sentiment. <laughs> you know, that's not something you'll see on paper or a rule or law. But what's the sentiment? What's the whole vibe like? You yeah. Know? Yeah. 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 And having a knowledgeable realtor, that that's the key. So so yeah. let me ask you this. So let's talk a little bit. We're going to shift a little bit about what are your thoughts about the trends for midterm rentals? That's been a hot topic lately. I just came from a really cool summit in San Diego. Shout out to Jesse Vasquez for putting that together. And it was all about midterm rentals, all about the data surrounding that. And so we have been all in on it really since 2018. We leverage the strategy to host um, families who are disaster displaced. And this was before COVID. So midterm rentals have been happening before COVID. I just don't think people knew that. But uh, once COVID happened, the the spotlight has been shined on midterm rentals because we've had a lot of traveling um, medical professionals, relief workers. So those numbers really skewed towards midterm rentals and short-term rental hosts had been, you know, transitioning. 
So what are your thoughts about midterm rentals? What are the trends looking like? I mean, we see in the data that obviously midterm rentals are, uh, they return better. Uh, they have a better ROI in a lot of markets. It's not in every market, but quite a few markets where short-term rentals look good or they look okay. When we, re- when we switch to the midterm numbers, they always look better. Oh, yeah. So the data just tells us what we need to know. I don't, I don't have to try to sell it to anybody. The midterm strategy by itself, I, I love it so much. And for a few reasons, I'm a huge fan of the assisted living model, the residential assisted living model, the group home model, and the midterm model. And I'll tell you why. Because the for the amount of work put in and what you get back, I think it outperforms every other investment asset class on the market. And so people that own a short-term rental, they're at risk in the future if the economy changes. If they're 100% depending on tourism only, and I have no problem telling people this because it's just the truth, um, if we have another situation where tourism goes to a halt or your market pulls back or it gets oversaturated in a few years because so many people are buying it. If you don't have a backup strategy for that rental, i.e. a midterm strategy is what I tell people is like Rachel's midterm strategy is where it's at because that's going to be what saves you. And if you bought a short term rental without looking into or understanding the midterm opportunity behind it, then you didn't do enough research. They should go hand in hand. When you invest in a short term rental, it should be what's my short term strategy? What's my midterm strategy? And what happens if I can't do either one? What's my long-term strategy? And then pull the trigger at that point when you know those things. But I love it. And I love it because of the numbers. And, you know, I, I invest because of numbers. So I've seen the data. It always looks better. And especially with the... Okay, so I was just, I was just watching a, a video on the residential assisted living model, which I said I'm a huge fan of. And I'm actually investing in some of those myself. And they're talking about, they call it the silver tsunami. Have you heard of the silver tsunami, Rachel? Okay. Yes. So you're in medical, so you, you, you have, right? Yes. So they're talking about the silver tsunami of all of these people, just like there's not, enough, there's not enough beds to house all the people coming of age right now. But this also goes directly to the nursing community and the medical community that's behind that, that's serving the silver tsunami. And a lot of those, a lot of those people, I know it's not just traveling nurses. I know there's other opportunities too in midterm, but traveling nurses is a good part of it too. And they're, tra- they're younger. They don't like to stay in one place. They're traveling for different opportunities. They're training. I'm seeing a connection there between the, the booming economy with the medical space, the silver tsunami and the midterm stays. And I just can't ignore it because the um, baby boomers that are the silver tsunami are driving our whole economy right now. Every, I think it's like every day, 4,000 people turn 85 or something like that. It's, it's oh outrageous. It was a crazy number. It was a yeah. crazy number. So yeah, what I'm seeing is I'm in a, a number of investment groups and because of the silver tsunami, business acquisitions are up, mm-hmm. you know, so they, they own a plumbing business forever and they're like, you know what? I'm yeah. selling it. And so it's impacting small business sales and acquisitions. Mm-hmm. So that's a whole other sector yeah. of <laughs> opportunity as well. But you're absolutely right. The housing, you know, accommodations is going to be really big. Yeah, there as well. I, so that's- I believe it's connected. And I believe midterms here to stay for a long time to follow the trend. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, to answer your question, I like it better than the short term model. And I know a lot of people will hate me for saying that, but it's <laughs> the less the less heads and beds. To be honest, the less heads and beds for the longer you can get in there is always better, right? Because mm-hmm. it's less damage to your property, it's less turnaround. I mean, you have these longer stays, and that's really where I think people make their money is the longer stays because your supply costs are down. And what a lot of people are thinking about too is like the, what inflation is doing to our supply cost. So and supplies are 30% more expensive than they were two and a half, three years ago. So you have a higher maintenance and supply cost when you have people in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out, which means you're going to see that on your expense column. If you can, if you can like get that down by having less heads and beds, it makes more sense just in the expenses alone with the high cost of having to pay for things now. It's, it's just getting crazy. And the rental rates aren't rising in proportion with inflation. Not many things are. So that's something for people to think about. No, no, you're absolutely right. And this is a great conversation to have because one thing that I like to say is that 
you know, it's not just about ROI, but it's ROE, the return on energy. Yes. <laughs> oh the return gosh, on yeah. your effort, you know, like, yeah, it, yeah. how do we work smarter, not harder? <laughs> this is the year that we need to work smarter, not harder. And oh that's where I find midterm rental, rentals is, that's where I'm getting my ROE back, like my return. I'm about to turn 40 and I'm like, listen, what the least amount of work I can do for the most money is where I need to be right now because like, I don't want to work hard. I'm done. You've done that. You've done. I've I've, I've served my time. I've served my time. That's, and you know, we worked hard to get up the money to be able to invest and Mm -hmm. let's make the best choices with it now. And, you know, short term is great for certain people. I mean, if you just, love a location and you want that house and there's a lot of markets where that house is not going to ROI very good, but it will pay for itself. Yeah. Short-term it, you know, and, and have your vacation. Yeah. And so that's, that's something that I'm diving into. And I know we we're looking at data and we're going in and I love sharing this strategy with my community and they're big believers. And, you know, you have that lifestyle asset, you know, they work hard too. I've got ER docs, just a number of really hardworking professionals project managers for big, you know, Fortune 100 companies and attorneys that are working for, you know, the government and just hard working gals mostly and a few good men. And mm-hmm. they they deserve, you know, to have that pocket of rest. And so say it's a cute beach condo, they have their midterm rental that's locked in generating, you know, 7500 8000 a month, mortgages 1500 2000 you know. And then they have the beach condo, you know, wow. that that they get to enjoy and it pays for itself. And they're yeah. happy. <laughs> they're like, I'm, I'm good. You know, yeah. I'm good. It's not necessarily the number of doors. Again, it's the ROE. It's the quality of life. It's the lifestyle asset. And it's a whole vibe. It really is a whole vibe. And so I, I was never a proponent of, I'm going to get a hundred of these meh, poor performing doors chasing down rent. It's <laughs> like, I already have a job. Like, I already, this is like a whole other job. Like, yeah, a whole other job. it's not the vibe. Like, if that's <laughs> the vibe you want, then great. And, and there is a, you know, in the long term, there's a good exit plate to that. Right. Yeah. But what you have to go through to get there, what I would like to normalize is the whole short term rental exit strategy or midterm rental exit strategy for your, your students that are serious about building a portfolio of these things. Because there is so much money in the exit with these, with institutional money and funds right now wanting to bring this onto into their portfolio because they're just now listening and paying attention to short-term rental. You know how the institutional money and the funds, they're so far behind, um, but now they all want a part of it. Mm-hmm. So we I have thought Blackstone this- wanted like $300 billion of hospitality and residential. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. a lawyer. Yeah. And they're gonna and they're gonna make smart purchases from those people that bought multiple short-term rentals in the same or mid-term rentals in the same area with the same manager. That's how I exited from my portfolio. I I had a huge fund buy it because it was easy for them. It was all in the same town within two miles of each other. I had one manager managing over 150 doors, and it was super, super turnkey and easy. So for your students that are building out those like multiple midterm rentals in one market with one manager, there is definitely an exit play for this in the future if you have enough properties and the cash flow is good enough. Oh, we'll dive into that for sure because yeah. we're building out a an exciting midterm rental network. And so I'm I know quite a few students would love to learn more about what that would look like. And what I love too, Erica, is you know, those realtors who are looking to support others in their community, you know, with this strategy as well, they're feeling really empowered that, wow, there's another tool they can add to their tool chest with midterm rentals. So I know they'll find it, find a lot of value from this conversation as well. Yeah. So I know the the elephant in the room is, so Erica, could you tell us a couple of markets that you've seen that this midterm rental strategy is really a great strategy? And I know there, I, I know that's, the question, the least favorite question, because it, it's everywhere, honestly. I've seen it happening everywhere. But lately, let's see, over the last couple of weeks, what's been your couple of favorite markets that you've seen that the strategy is really working out? <laughs> uh, so I actually, I sent you that listing but earlier on in Cleveland, and I kind of trashed it. 
So let's not throw <laughs> the baby out with the bathwater because I actually have been really heavily underwriting the Cleveland market in the last Ooh. two and a half to three weeks. And I've learned that there's been a huge and there's an ongoing revitalization project happening in the city. What I've what I've been told is that Cleveland didn't enjoy having jokes made about it very much, being that it wasn't, you know, the best city to live in and all that stuff. So they said, we're going to do something about it. Um, so the city decided they were going to just start cleaning it up, you know, turning it into a nice place to live, to attract tourism, to attract people. This has been driving a lot of construction projects, which have been driving a lot of construction stays, things like that, driving a lot of people uh, that normally wouldn't have start have went on a weekend trip or a vacation to this city that are now staying there, going there, um, vacationing. There's temporary housing um, for these projects that are going on. So I've been heavily underwriting that as a potential market to look into. Um, very good opportunity. And what I love the most about it is all of that is there and the prices are still looking like they were in a lot of markets three, three and a half years ago. So nice. Yeah, I see the equity potential there as things continue to improve. And I, there's definitely a tourism demand there to support and a demand for the midterms to support what's happening. So I really like that market a lot. There's another market we've been underwriting. I, I'm not allowed to say it today, but Rachel, I'm going to send it to you and I'm going to let you release your audience when the time comes because it's a surprise. We're rolling it out in the next two weeks. But it's, in my opinion, one of the coolest markets right now that you can invest in. There's a lot of long-term opportunity in the growth side, but both on the short-term side. It, midterm will be there, but it's not yet today. But midterm will be there. There's a lot of growth potential in this market. So even if you got in and you got out three years from now, you're going to do well on your exit um, because we're seeing a lot of growth in this market and a lot of tourism coming in. But people don't talk about it and they don't know about it because it's a smaller town. Um, Eaton, uh, Arkansas is another market that I was um, underwriting recently for a few reasons, because there is a ton of people moving there for retirement right now. And again, wherever retirement goes, we find medical jobs following things like that. So Eaton, Arkansas is one that we're currently underwriting. And we see a lot of future potential. There's a lot of construction growth happening there, a lot. And I always tell people, look, these, these companies like the grocery store companies, the big corporations, the, the retail um, world, they've already spent millions of dollars underwriting and researching markets that they're going to build and move into. They don't go anywhere where there's not enough population growth to support sales. So we follow that. We follow the commercial businesses where they go and we start underwriting markets where we see growth happening there. So that's another market that I'm looking at right now. And there's a few more, Rachel, and I'm going to send you some every week so you can stay in the loop on a lot of these markets that we're finding. But they're markets that, you know, people don't talk about them. They don't think about them, but that's where the opportunities are. You know, if it's not popular, it's OK. You got to look at the numbers and the data and the demographics. So that's how that's kind of what we're looking at right now. Oh, I love that. And I know popularity and we have just a few minutes left, guys. So feel free to share your questions. But yeah, so that that leads me to my next question. Popularity is huge, right? So what would you say are some fad markets that everyone talks about, but you would warn against some cautionary tales? Yeah. <laughs> and I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, yeah. like markets under the bus, but you know, the people, people got to know. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus or any market because, you know, there's a lot of great agents in these markets and a lot of really cool houses. I will just say, like, if you've heard about it from more than four or five people or more than, you know, a bunch of coaches are talking about it or you hear it on podcasts all the time, it's probably too late to invest there. That's just what I'll, I'll say is like, if it sounds like it's everyone's talking about it, it's not the time to invest. The time to invest in it was before everybody was talking about it because you're going to run into saturation issues at that point. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious markets like Kissimmee are saturated, but I tell people this, like, it's not even saturation that's the problem. It's your strategy that's the problem because there is an opportunity in every single market if you are going to be one of the top 10 or 20%, the high earners. And there is a very specific data back strategy to get there, right? So if you're not going into that market with a very specific strategy, you're going to just end up being a middle to low earner. It is what it is. But if you're going into a saturated market with the right strategy, you're going to be a part of that, you know, top earning percent. 
if you have good management in place and you know what to do with the home and who to market it to. So the good thing about saturated markets, Rachel, is that they hit a saturation cap already. And what the saturation cap is, is when you really can't build more competition. You can only buy what's there and create something new out of it. And I like that because I know who my competitors are going to be five years from now because I can't build more competitors. In newer markets and emerging, mar emerging markets, even though they present a huge opportunity, we also don't know who our competitors are going to be in five years and how many we're going to have. So there's the pro and con is Kissimmee totally saturated, but nobody else is building there because you'd have to go so far away from Disney to even get land and build right now. So what you see is what you get. It's proven. It's well-oiled. And there's a very small radius of where you can buy to be successful. And there's a very simple strategy to follow. And I see that in most of those saturated markets. I do love emerging markets, though, because of the equity potential in the future to get in before everybody else and really ride that wave before everybody starts coming in. And then in three years, I'll exit to the people that are just now jumping on the trend. They can take and buy my property for more because <laughs> it's a performing short-term rental or midterm rental. So... No, no, I love that. And and what you said is so true with the saturation cap. We actually had a member of our community that purchased a property in Kissimmee. What was interesting about her situation was that, so she had a property last year that performed extremely well, you know, in Kissimmee. The, just the way she set it up, it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was completely over the top, but she leveraged Verbo and a direct booking site and it did really, really well. And so she was looking to go into a few other markets and just the numbers didn't pencil out. But there was a, a property within that same community that was for sale. And I said, why not rinse and repeat it? You know, yeah. And, yeah. Right? why not rinse and repeat? She made more than six figures on it. And, and yeah. it, just the numbers penciled out. And I wouldn't say that to anyone. Like I was I'm like, absolutely no. But for her, I was like, do that. To yeah. just be beating that specific drum. And I, I never thought I would have recommended something like that. So it worked for her. And you're you're absolutely right. It's like if you figured it out, you know, and if you you have a framework and if you know you're you're at the top within that specific each, you know, community development matters, the setup matters, and if you, you know, have the team in place, do that. Hundred <laughs> percent. So, yeah. Why yeah. reinvent the wheels? And scaling out for her is going to be less expensive from a, from a marketing perspective because every ad she runs on the OTAs, if she's booked on one, she can just move them to another. So, mm -hmm. and then she doesn't have to keep, like she starts a whole new market. It's a whole new marketing campaign. It's a totally different demographic she's marketing to, different reasons are going there. I don't like the all over the place strategy. I am really big on pick one market and scale out mm -hmm. because it's easier to exit at a better at a better price and it's easier to manage and operate so personally i agree with you on that one i love it i love it yeah oh so good so good i am just soaking it all in so what advice erica would you give someone who is looking to get started in real estate investing but they're you know you turn on the news <laughs> you know yeah. the it's doom and gloom you know maybe they should do something else, maybe crypto, maybe something else other than real estate. What advice would you give um, that newer investor in terms of, you know, what to look at? What what should be there? Some strategies that they should take into consideration for this upcoming, you know, real estate investing cycle. Yeah. I mean, first I would tell them you, it's not just you, whether you're new or you're existing, we're all struggling with this current market. It's It's one of the most difficult markets I've seen in 22 years because of the inventory situation. So you're coming into a difficult market to begin with. My advice would be, if you're not attached to a location, find the opportunities that are out there and pick an opportunity that's going to be easy to, uh, to, for you to operate and easy for you to scale and commit to it. I'm a huge proponent of committing to one market and scaling out there if it's about the cash flow. If it's not about the cash flow, then just find a market that you can break even in and enjoy it when you're using it and bank on your equity and tax depreciation and all that later, you know, that you're going to get down the road and be happy. But most people are getting into this because they want to generate an ROI and they get fixated on just cash flow right now. 
Understand that you can refinance out of a high rate down the road. So maybe year one and year two, your cash flow is a little bit less because your payment's higher, but run a financial model on when you refinance what that's going to look like. Factor in the equity appreciation, factor in all the tax, you know, the tax deductions you're going to get. Look at the whole picture. And in the right market, you can sit, you're going to be sitting on a gold mine in five years if you have long-term growth. Because that's what exactly I did is I went into this like middle of nowhere market back in 2017. It's called Ludowisi, Georgia. There was literally nothing out there. And except for a small little town where there was a military base in Hinesville. And I bought my first mobile home park. And it was like a disaster. And I was like, how am I going to you know, make this work? I had to go in, evict a bunch of people. But I ended up once I got all the, the people out of there that weren't paying and I got good tenants in there, I was like, I'm making money here. Like I bought it at a good price, even though nobody knows about this place, people live there, right? So I'm making money here. I have a good manager. I'm not going to go anywhere else. I'm buying my second one here. Got my second one, got my third one, scaled it out to 150 units and then had a great exit from that. So that's what I would just tell people is even if it's the middle of nowhere and the numbers work, don't be scared of it. Oh, I love that. That message of hope is one that we don't hear very often at all. Uh, I just thank you so much for being with us, Erica. I would love for you to share. So how do we connect with you? I know that I have your links and I'm going to share it everywhere, but how do we best connect with, with you and within the network? How do we continue to um, enjoy your information? I know you're doing a good job on social. I see you popping up on my feed every now and then. Trying. It's like you either have time or, but we, we gave you a link, Rachel, that you can give out to anybody that wants to connect with us. That's an investor. So I would just tell everyone to use the link that Rachel has that will connect you to us. We know you're coming from Rachel. We understand that you're, you know, into the midterm strategy and we really like to help you focus more on that and the right markets for midterm. And of course you can follow us on Instagram. I'm not as great as Rachel with social media. I hope to one day be. She's like my social media hero, but you know, we're trying to put out nuggets and tidbits, but we do internally, once you're plugged into our mailing list, we do calls where you can jump on and we analyze data in emerging markets, stuff like that. So best place to start is the link that Rachel will be handing out. Awesome. Yeah, guys, you'll find that. Just go to shorttermgems.com and it'll pop up on the left-hand corner. So <laughs> just click that link on the left once you go to shorttermgems.com, Erica. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the words of encouragement, for the good, the bad, and the ugly of <laughs> our current real estate cycle. But, you know, the truth, it, it, it hurts, but it will set us free. <laughs> so yeah. massive, massive thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me on, Rachel. Oh, thank you. And you have a good one, okay? All right, you too. Thanks. <laughs> okay, bye-bye for now. Bye.